Hello everybody, welcome back to the show. Today's episode is with Holly Jenkins, who runs the Instagram page, The Edinburgh Spaniels, where she posts about her adventures with her two working Cocker Spaniels, Hugo and Spencer. Holly started documenting her canine adventures when she completed all of the Scottish Monroes, 269 of which were with her fluffy friends by her side. In this episode, we talk about everything to do with Hugo and Spencer, hiking and running with them, their training, different personalities, whether or not Cocker Spaniels are for everyone, what it's like to camp with dogs in a tent, how she handles two endurance machines when living in a city, and much, much more. If you enjoyed this podcast, which I'm sure you will, I'd highly recommend heading over to Holly's Instagram page to see some of the hilarious videos she captures of the adventures she has with her two four-legged friends. The link can be found in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe or follow to ensure you never miss an episode. We have some terrific guests coming on this year and I wouldn't want you to miss out. Enjoy the episode. Holly Jenkins, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So the big question first, why the breed Cocker Spaniels? Oh, I don't know. Um, I grew up having, um, in the Middle East, there was like a bunch of kind of stray dogs, everything kind of mixes. And I remember one of my friends had a working cocker and I just loved her. She was such a nice, sweet dog. And then, yeah, when it came time for me to look at getting my own dog, I was searching Cocker Spaniel, kept seeing the show type thinking, it's not quite right. And then <laughs> cockers, and I was like, yeah, that's, that's them. Because you got your first one when you were a student at Edinburgh. It's quite an unusual time to get your first dog, quite an unusual age. Yeah, I, I'd taken um, a kind of year sort of out um, of uni and it was in that time when I was just kind of struggling with a few things that I then looked and thought, yeah, this is the time I need. I think I'd grown up around so many animals. I'd grown up with like constant things there to look after and take care of um, and I was really noticing the absence and so it was a perfect time and that was Hugo and so, yeah, seven years later he's he's still there all the time. So you mentioned that you always grew up around animals. Could you just give us a quick A to Z of your background leading up to your university days? So I was born in England, but my parents had met and lived in the Middle East uh, in Qatar. So um, at six weeks old, I then went to Qatar with them. My mum was a secretary or and then she became a swimming teacher. My dad worked in civil engineering sewage works so it was group kind of raised in the middle east always stray animals everywhere like every bin you look at there's a stray cat there's stray dogs everywhere and there wasn't really any kind of rescue centers when i was really little so i would just kind of like bring things home with me um and i think we had like a minimum of maybe seven to ten cats and three dogs at a time throughout my whole time no. <laughs> case of like you know you bring one in you rehome it you find a new one or some would stay and they'd just be like bedraggled like one had missing eyes or missing legs or they just had like holes in them but yeah so always bringing in animals no surprise I then wanted to go and be a vet um so I've got all the grades I needed uh, and then at 18 got into Edinburgh Uni um the Royal Dick School for Veterinary Medicine studied in Edinburgh I fell in love with the city um, and left the degree a bit early with the BSc Vetsai but just stayed in Scotland and yeah I've never left could you introduce us to your two dogs, the famous two, their personalities and a bit about them? Sure. I mean, they're asleep on this little dog bed here. Hugo, come here. I can go grab them in a second. But um... That's so brave to have them with you in the recording. Before we went on, I just kicked mine out. I was like, <laughs> you are not trusted. 
Well, these two, I mean, I work from in this room like four days a week. So um, they're used to, yeah, when we're in this room, they just kind of settle down. They've got beds and toys and stuff. So they just fall asleep in here. Uh, and I tire them out like first thing. So they just sleep down the rest of the day. But yeah, Hugo's the older one. He is uh, turning seven this next year, March. Um, and he is very like Mr. Independent, slightly kind of grumpy old man vibes. Um, he's quite not attached to me but super in tune with me and yeah he's the kind of if we're out on a hike he's doing his own thing he's not really he checks in with me and just looks to make sure I'm still following but he won't kind of go up to other people or dogs Spencer's kind of the opposite so he's four um he's really closely bonded with Hugo um but he's also a big like mama's boy and he's very needy loves attention when we're on a hike he will just like be lying to people coming towards us because he wants attention and he wants to cuddle from someone um but he's yeah the softest like sweetest cute little thing i can go grab them if you want i'll bring them here yeah 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 okay so this is hugo <laughs> he's got the best hair i've actually taken photos of his hair with me to a hairdresser's before and said <laughs> but um it's not cheap it's only natural for him from him so come on <laughs> And Spencer's massive. He's the same as yours, Fox Red. Come on. Okay. Um, but he's very, very long. And he's like 19 kilos. So he's a really big Spaniel. Wow. Yeah. Um, but he's just, yeah, soft. His softness. Very cute. Come on. That's the two. After you got the first, why did you choose to get a second one? Because I'm trying, um, currently trying to convince Emily to get a second one. I see. And okay. she's kind of on the fence. So really, my hopes lie in what you're about to say next. I think it worked at the time it was having the right decision it was I think yeah I'm used to having multiple animals around and there was times when I was out um and Hugo was alone and I kind of felt bad for him I also saw how alive he became when I'd like puppy sit for my friends or their dogs would come and stay um and he just like loved having a pal around all the time so yeah, it was kind of I I wanted a bit more responsibility but then also um I could see that Hugo sort of needed it but then as soon as Spencer came home, I think Hugo knew this one was different. And whilst normally I was so excited that other people were, or new dogs were here, when Spencer came, he just like flat out ignored him for the first two months, wouldn't even acknowledge his presence. It was like the grumpiest thing ever to him. But then, yeah, after a couple of months, actually on Christmas Day, it just switched and they had their first cuddle and then they became pals. So it wasn't love at first sight with them. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's quite common to have several Spaniels at once, just with their working background. Did you feel as though that Hugo was sufficiently well-trained enough to bring in a second one? Yeah, when I was happy that Hugo was had grown into himself like as an adult dog, but also um, into knowing kind of what he likes, how he acts, knowing that, making sure I felt confident in him as well. I think sometimes if Sometimes people get two puppies together and then it kind of works because you're training them both at the same time. My worry would have been if I'd have got Spencer when Hugo was younger, um, that Hugo would have been impacted in his own training or he still would have been a teenager and there's this new puppy coming along. So, um, yeah, I was really set with Hugo, knew what worked for him and what didn't, and so then felt comfortable with number two. Why did you choose to have two boys? I had looked at girls, actually. To be honest, it was more... Um, Boys seem to be a bit less effort um, <laughs> to manage than girls. Um, I wasn't really interested in breeding or anything like that. Um, and from the vet background, I kind of know it's easier to surgery-wise if you're neutering or spaying um, to go with boys. 
yeah, I, did, I didn't think it was a specific choice initially, but once I'd gone down the route of a boy with Hugo, I thought it would be easier um, to stick with a boy. We opted for a girl because then when she's in about a year, we'll breed from her and then we'd like to keep one back sweet. on the litter and then yeah. we'd like to always have a little direct descendant. That's really sweet. I like that. What was the training like with both of them? Because of all the videos, they look very well behaved. A lot of people get cock spaniels because they're small and cute, but they don't really realise just how much hard work they can be, especially in the training phase. Yeah, um, I think the first thing to say is that, like anything on social media, it's definitely a highlight reel. So I definitely show the good bits with the boys. I'm trying to show more of the bad bits, but uh, yeah, it's definitely a highlight reel. In terms of training them, they were entirely different. Um, so Hugo is incredibly smart, like very, very smart and will listen to you. And even when I'm speaking now, I can see him like looking at me and giving like, because he thinks I'm speaking to him. So with training him, it was a case of if I got him to do the movement once, he would then put two and two together and be like, oh, when I do this, I get a treat solid. And that was it. With Spencer, it was so different. He's just like, oh my God, food. And just like panics and like wants to like <laughs> food so much that he's just like spinning around and doing every single trick he knows in the hopes that one works and that's it. Um, he's he's a beautiful dog, but he is not brains. Hugo is the brains. Um, then when we're out on hikes and stuff, it was definitely Hugo, I think with things like sheep, um, is the big thing that people get concerned about, especially with hiking. So Hugo just never really bothered with sheep. He found them interesting to look at, but because he was so busy doing his own thing and in his own little world, he would just kind of like observe them and then and, and not really engage. Whereas Spencer, we did have one incident actually in the Pentlands when he was still quite young, um, where he saw sheep and went and started to chase. He has a really strong prey drive. Um, and that was a really shocking moment for me because I hadn't experienced that with Hugo. Um, and I had done a lot of recall training, but it just wasn't the right type for Spencer. Um, and I remember thinking, like, if the farmer sees Spencer right now, he 100% is in his rights to shoot him. And that's my fault because I hadn't done the right training with him. So with Spencer, it was, yeah, a lot of them training to get the recall down. So kind of did impulse control training where um, I'd get him to sit at my feet and throw a ball and he'd have to sit and wait until I would release him to go get the ball. And that I found made a huge, huge difference, just him learning to control that initial chase impulse. Um, and then also like really high value treats um, because, yeah, he's food. It trumps all for him. <laughs> I only found this out recently when I was looking into it, that in the early 20th century, they had land spaniels and then water spaniels. And mm -hmm. the land spaniels, if they were in a litter, any dog under the 25 pounds would be used to hunt woodcock. And then they were called like you know, cocking dogs, which is that oh. where they get the name cocker spaniel. And then okay. the ones that were over 25 pounds, they would be used to flush prey or spring prey. And then they were called yeah, springer spaniels. Yeah. Okay. And then since, since then, the two breeds have just completely diverged. Yeah, that's really interesting. I had no idea. With ours, basically, you've just done loads of gun dog training with it because it's just yeah. very set and they're very much like eyes on you and have to listen and everything. But yeah. I just see, you see them around quite a lot and they never walk in a straight line. So the poor <laughs> owner's got like two shopping bags and then a cocker just like zigzagging on the pavement. And I'm like, oh yeah, we've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> you sort of came to public acclaim when you started Monroe bagging with the two dogs how did that journey come about 
um it was all kind of for my 25th birthday I wanted to do something I think you kind of it was like quarter life want to make yeah do something with it and I thought I live in Scotland let's climb Ben Nevis um and just kept seeing the word Munro everywhere and had absolutely no idea what it meant um and then when I got back down from Ben Nevis kind of googled what a Munro was just to try and understand why this word kept popping up um and saw that there was this whole list of Munros to do in Scotland I found out that there was one that was like I was staying in Comrie Croft this campsite there was one that was like 10 minutes away so I was like great I'll go and do that um and that was kind of the start of it and I started off at a relatively I mean still quick by most people's standards pace I did like 50 in the first six months um and then 20 in the next six months and then I kind of got to the June um of 20 something clicked in me and that was it and yeah between June then and June of the following year I did 212 um in the space of a year just powering through them um so it it came almost by chance it was just that I wanted to do this one thing to mark my 25th. How many of the 280 Monroes did the dogs do? Um, they did 269. So they didn't do the Coolins and they didn't do Anakiga. Or I'm pronouncing it wrong, I know, but I'm not going to try. And <laughs> <laughs> um, But yeah, so there was 13 that they didn't do. When you're out with them, do you take like snacks and everything to keep them fueled up as they go? Because there'd be some long days, I suspect. Yeah. Um, so I normally take yeah, bags of treats um, with us, like kind of meaty sausages or stuff like that for them. Um, and then they just have water. There's often like water on the roots or if I've checked the route before and there isn't sufficient water, then I'll carry extra water for them. Um, and then if it's if we're going long enough to need to camp and stay overnight somewhere, then I'll be carrying their food in my pack. You said camp overnight. You have some of the best videos of <laughs> you <laughs> either in a hammock or in the tent. How do you because Cocker Spaniels just love to be right in your face and lots of hugs. How do you just not get the hole inside of your tent really muddy? I don't know, actually. We've done pretty well with the tent. Um, most of the times, I, I mean, I try and pick days that aren't wet and soggy and boggy. So, yeah, the conditions definitely help. But there have been times they've been a bit minging. I do carry like a jacket for them um, overnight. So that helps kind of keep some of the mud in. But there have been a few times where it's not actually the mud that's necessarily the problem. It's if um, people humans go to the toilet outside and they don't um, pack it away properly the dogs will find it and there's been a few times where they've come into the tent and I'm like get out no. <laughs> <laughs> that's much worse than mud <laughs> it is um did I see that you have like dog sleeping bags for them? specific dog yes. sleeping bags yeah there's um yeah they've got some from non-stop they're just yeah like mini sleeping bags with like a waterproof bottom and so they pack away really small, but it's great for when we're in the tent that they can tuck in. And especially if it's like a really cold camp, they kind of huddle in together and then they get zipped in and they've got their jackets on. They've got the sleeping bag. and They're warmer than I am. And with my stuff. <laughs> they stay cosy. We were laughing earlier that cock spaniels never walk in a straight line. How do you balance that tendency that they have, especially on some of the Monroes with like big drops and cliffs? Um, it took a lot, actually. And I think the the more work came from me in terms of managing my own like spikes of fear um because they grew up climbing like Arthur's seat which is just like behind where we live uh, pretty much every day so although it's not Monroe level or scrambling grade there are a few sections that are kind of tricky so 
from day one they've had good mobility and like maneuvering over tricky ground but yeah the, the first good chunk of Munro they did I was freaking out a lot of the time and I'd have them on like bungee leads and waist leads and stuff um but I found that it, it became almost like a hindrance to them and me um I'd be trying to climb something and they would jump and pull and that would pull me off balance and then they would recoil back and so they would then risk getting hurt so I did just almost have to bite the bullet and kind of test them out on some easier ones off lead and it was I could then trust that they knew how to handle themselves they would get they would kind of gingerly approach an edge glance over see like nope can't go that way and then they'd come back again and then also knowing that if I was to call them they would come back to me if I did see something up ahead I, I knew that they would come back to me um, but it was definitely yeah I had to trust that in them because they are really capable dogs when we go walking around here it's obviously very snowy and icy and I say to Emily that Heston has four-wheel drive because she can just like fly around things she's like slow she's got the claws it's just amazing and we're like slipping and sliding down a hill and she's yeah. just like Nyaw. they make it look so easy and you're like <laughs> I'm like dying here <laughs> meanwhile they're just trotting along we're like oh come on like extra laps and everything what's been the biggest day that they've done in terms of kilometers or miles um I don't know. We did one day that was to get to number 100 where I kind of combined the Fanex. And I think that day was uh, 52, no, 42 kilometers. Um, so, so they that, did a mountain marathon. Then. Yeah, we did. That was like seven or eight Monroes, or nine, I can't remember, nine maybe in a day. That was a really long day. That was like 10 and a half hours of solid hiking because I don't stop to eat or anything. I just like eat as we walk. So. Um, that was a really big day. Then we also did to get to do Fisherfield. You kind of hike, camp, hike, pick up your tent, and then come back again. So that was a, although we stopped overnight, that was a really long one as well. You often sleep with them or nap with them in a hammock. Do you actually sleep overnight in that hammock, or is it just for like resting? Just for resting. Um, it would be cool to try sleeping in a hammock, um, but I think I. I hate bugs and midges. Um, I don't. I don't mind like spiders or things like that kind of come around, but midges just like get me. So I think the conditions to comfortably sleep in a hammock for me would be more summer, and then you've got to contend with the midges. So um, I'd love to try it, but maybe not in Scotland. When you're out and about, you're obviously walking for big days, as you said. Are you listening to anything like podcast or audiobooks, or are you listening to your own thoughts? I used to do um, just nothing and not have any music in um I think there was a point where I switched from doing the Munros at a gradual pace to like really pushing and this is a challenge now and I saw each hike as like a physical workout almost then I started listening to music um and I do listen to podcasts sometimes but I find if I'm doing an activity like a hike that's like a long one just the way I work I need I need constant change so um, yeah, I, I used those times actually to build up my marathon running playlist. So I would just like listen to upbeat workout music. And I just <laughs> when it came to Edinburgh Marathon, I had this like great playlist. And as I was listening to it, I could remember the, the times during the hikes when I'd heard that song originally. So, uh, yeah, it's quite nice for you to remember. Them. Have you created two endurance machines in the dogs? <laughs> I've um I've mentioned this before how yeah the great thing about doing Munros with my dogs has been like their fitness has increased loads to be able to do this 
it's also incredible downside in that if I am hungover, I just want a lazy day. I have two like Munro capable dogs bouncing off the walls. Um, so yeah, they are, their fitness level is way up. Um, and so yeah, it is a case of a need to continue hiking or take them on long walks. Um, but then saying that I can have a kind of maybe day or two um, if I was to really not be able to go out like I recently had a knee injury and couldn't take them they can kind of go one or two days before they start fully like bouncing off the walls. <laughs> okay, obviously you're mon rowing and doing a lot of walking at the weekend but during the week you're located in Edinburgh mm-hmm. how do you balance city life with two very active country dogs? I think we're lucky in Edinburgh that there's so much green space near us. Uh, we're fairly close to Holyrood, and so pre- it's pretty much like a five-minute walk for us to get there. And then they've got kind of an hour, hour and a half, fully off lead, um, running, getting to sniff and um, let out all their energy. So that really helps. Um, I also can take them into the office with me once a week. And I think with Spaniels, physical stimulation is definitely one thing, but also they need that mental side. And so although while they're in the office, they're not running around and around, they're like like talking to loads of people and there's loads of new sniffs and there might be other dogs in. So they're getting that really good mental stimulation too, which helps kind of keep them um, tired. You've posted about your dog-friendly office. It actually <laughs> just looks wild. <laughs> Can you tell us a bit about it? Yeah, sure. So um, we do veterinary healthcare kind of marketing, um, but we share an office space with another company too. and the owners of that other company have dogs and so it was a kind of non-negotiable that it was the dog friendly office and yeah so when I started with Hugo he would come in with me and then Spencer started coming in from when I thought he was puppy trained he did have a few accidents in the office (laughs) (laughs) but uh, yeah it's nice to take them in and I don't know it makes me feel really happy like seeing you'll just kind of catch at the corner of your eye like one of the dogs getting like attention from someone in, in the corner of a meeting room and you can just see them happy and it's just nice They're like oh that's my dogs and they're making someone happy it's uh, yeah I really I feel lucky that I get to take them in with me. Would you recommend Cocker Spaniel as a breed to people to get? If they're prepared for everything that comes with it then yes I think they're such like a I love the intelligence of them and the kind of the sweetness of the breed and yeah if you know how to manage them properly then they are really good companion dogs I think a lot of the problems that people associate with spaniels often come from just simply not being able to drain the batteries enough I think if I I can't remember who said it initially but um it's like they've got so much pent-up energy inside them and if they can't let it out in a productive way like walking or running or hiking that's going to come out as destructive behaviors like be like chewing up toys or destroying the furniture and so yeah I think if if people are prepared and able to kind of manage properly then yeah they're they're great dogs. And now that you have done all of your Monroes what do you have a and you seem like quite a challenge orientated person do you have another challenge on the horizon? Um, I did want to, well, I, I want to do next year the West Highland Way. I also want to do the Three Peaks, Solo One Assisted. Um, and um, I also want to do North Coast 500, but that's more like a driving one, I guess. Um, I was doing... I thought you were going to say you want to walk the North Coast 500. I was I like, would... no, surely not. <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah, and then I was doing a lot of running um, after I finished the Munros to kind of try and maintain my fitness or maintain like my marathon fitness. Um, fortunately, I've been out for the past two months with an injury, so 
think returning to fitness will be a challenge for me next year. And I would like to do the Loch Ness Marathon uh, next year also. One of the, my favourite things I like to do with my Cocker Spaniel is go for a run with them, just because it's yeah. so much fun and it just brings them, it just brings us so much joy. Do you run with two attached to your harness or is it, oh, you do? Yeah. I so was going to ask, how do you do it? Um, so they're pretty good. It, I mean, it took a lot of uh, work to get them used to it. But yeah, especially like in the city, you're saying, how do you, how do you keep them tired in the city? Um, we'd go for runs before work. So I have a kind of waist belt and then they're both attached to that on their harness. And I found that if I keep them kind of in line with my ankles, um, then they just trot there the whole time. But it did take a lot of practice to get to that. So I found doing the same boring loop for them because I, I find with these two, if it's somewhere new and exciting, then that's when they go that crazy. Oh, my God, I've got to sniff and I've got to explore everything. When it's boring to them and they know the route, they know where they're going, they're much easier or they they find it easier to just kind of follow the one track. And so we did that with running. We just did the exact same boring loop many times so that they got used to that and got comfortable with running in next to me. And then I could vary it and go in new places. Um, but, yeah, they would just – we would kind of do – don't know like half marathons or 30ks before work with them just trotting next to me um get home have a shower and then log on start work <laughs> <laughs> so they would both be on the same side then yeah yeah they would run next to each yeah, other yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah and it was always hugo on the outside spencer on the inside um because one time one time i accidentally stood on hugo and then that was it forevermore he like runs as far as he can because he's gonna get stood on again and he guilts me every single time um, but he goes on the outside, Spence comes on the inside. How do you sort of balance enjoying the small moments with your dogs and also wanting to document as much as you can for Instagram? Or are there just so many moments that you just kind of pick and choose as you go? Um, I think this is maybe like a darker side of um, Instagram or social media or doing kind of content like this. And I was speaking about it recently with Frida from Somewhere Wilder. Um, it's it becomes hard to be almost like present in some of the moments because you you can't switch off that voice in the back of your head that's going, oh, that make a really good video. Or like, oh, that's so cute. Let me get that on video. Um, and it's because you want to share it. You know, you see that people enjoy these videos that they, you know, you see these lovely comments and you want to share those moments. And and yeah, it becomes hard to to not have that moment and and to be just fully present in it to the point where sometimes it's like, you go through the motions and you experience the whole day and it's only like the next day or the day after that when you look back through the videos and like oh my god that was amazing but you just weren't fully there in the moment which yeah is a shame and it has changed slightly how I experience those moments and I'm trying to get better about okay I'm taking this video here now and it's going away but it's definitely something I struggle with to be fully present in those little moments with the boys for sure. Richard Frieda there, she also has two Cocker Spaniels. Does she, does she have a red one and a brown one, same as you? Yeah, same. And, and we, whenever we go on hikes, we're often confusing each other's Spaniels. <laughs> so there was one time, yeah, where I was kind of like, um, I think she was shouting at Wally, thinking Wally was like going miles away. Uh, and bless him, Wally was sat right at her feet, like looking up at her. And it was Hugo who was just being a nutter, just like off doing his own thing. I was like, oh, that's, that's my one. <laughs> They're super fun. Would you ever consider getting a breed that isn't Cocker Spaniel? Do you think? Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, I mean, you have to be you have to be careful what you say with them behind you. Actually, thinking. About it. 
they fall asleep now. We're all good. Um, yeah, there's quite a few breeds like I quite like the look of. Um, collies, although I know collies are, again, like a really high-energy working dog. Um, golden retrievers, also quite like greyhounds. Um, I grew up with, with Saluki mixes, so along those kind of greyhound vibes. Yeah, there's not really many breeds I wouldn't go for um, or my reason for not going for a breed would be more from my vet background of knowing uh, certain things about the breed uh, to avoid. <laughs> yeah, where we are in the mountains, everyone has like a proper dog. So <laughs> there's a lot of like Aussie shepherds. There's no like pugs yeah, yeah. or anything like that. Yeah. And in Scotland, we always have like pretty much one of the best behaved dogs in the town. You know, walked lovely on a lead, walked to heel, all of this stuff, mm. came back. And then you come out here and because everyone needs their dogs to be like really well behaved because there's like some serious mountains they take them on. The dogs are so impeccably well behaved. So no one around here walks their dogs with a lead. So yeah. they'll just be walking through town and the dog will just be at the heels. So we've yeah. gone from like being like close to the top of the, the local park and then we're down at the bottom because everyone looks at us and we're like, why is your dog on a lead? <laughs> it's such a flex, isn't it? There's some people down um, in like, where is it, Newtown and we're walking to work who walk their dogs without leads and you're like, oh God, that's the dream. Like, respect to them for that <laughs> the thing is it's, i think it's harder though for like a spaniel to walk off a lead on a pavement for example whereas we've got some friends who have labradors and you know bless them labradors they're lovely dogs but they're a bit boring so then but they'll just walk like very happily beside you the whole time yeah they're they're lovely dogs so not alienate or annoying one yeah they're lovely dogs <laughs> less mountains <laughs> can we expect from the three of you going forward I'm trying to, I guess, like, I struggled with a bit of, like, imposter syndrome of how Instagram has, my Instagram was very, like, the best of the best of our best moments. Um, and I kind of didn't show our real life or our going to the office. And so people, because it's what I put out, had this impression that I lived in the highlands and the mountains all the time. And that's what I did. And, and Scotland was this amazing place that never rains and it's beautiful weather all the time, um, which is why I'm trying to show the office. So I'm, I think, hopefully try and see a bit more of us and have a bit more of reflection of what our normal life looks like. And that in part is trying to reflect my life now in that post the Rose, I'm not pushing myself in all conditions to be out hiking all the time. Um, I'm doing other things like forest walks or I'm getting to experience nice dog friendly places and share that. So um, I think a bit more variety of content, um, try and show a bit more dog friendly experiences as well, not just hiking um, and also things that are a bit more accessible to everybody. So, yeah, as I say, like forest walks versus hiking up an extreme mountain. It's interesting what you say there because you have 180,000 followers. A lot of people just assume you're just a full time content creator with two dogs yes uh, and people have assumed that for a long time um that yeah I think I had someone message me and it was it like two years ago um so maybe around like 60k um saying like oh how much do you earn a month from Instagram and like I really want to go full-time content creator like you and I was kind of like I am full-time working and this is my full-time hobby yeah, people do assume it. And I can kind of understand why, because maybe in other spaces, um, people are able to earn enough. Um, it's hard, I find, to balance accepting work against not wanting everything just to be ad. And also the guidelines are very strict. So um, people have different interpretations of what ad means. Um, and so 
I think some people sometimes see the word ad and they think, oh, this person's parroting words that have been said by someone else where if I'm told I have to say something because I'm like, no, this is my voice. I really value that these people um, like to enjoy the content I put out. And so I'm not going to be selling them a story. Um, yeah, so it's it then means that I don't get to earn as much because I'm turning down um, things. But I would rather do that and maintain the voice that I have um, than pick up extra work that I don't need. What sort of sponsorships do you, do you come across? Is, is it a lot of dog-focused stuff? So like dog food, dog harnesses, etc.? It used to be that, yeah, and those still kind of happen. Dog stuff initially, for sure. Um, and then as I started to show myself more in the account, which was maybe a year and a bit ago, um, that opened up opportunities uh, in other areas. So one area that's been really helpful has been hiking equipment and sports equipment because it is really expensive um, and the good stuff is quite expensive. So it has been really helpful to work with brands to be able to showcase um, some of these products uh, and then get to actually use them to then give my opinion on them um, but yeah so that's opened up a few more doors and then things I've been really um, proud of is like being able to work with for example Visit Scotland you know when you've moved to a country and their tourism board is saying hey we'd, we'd love for you to create videos for us like that was a huge honour so um, things like that have been really great as well. What sort of work have you been doing with Visit Scotland? Um, initially, I think the first thing I did was a Munro guide um, of Munro's to do with your dogs. And then after that was a hosteling trip. So the um, hosteling sector in Scotland got really hit post-COVID and they wanted to kind of show that hosteling is still a thing and also that you can do it with your dogs. So I did a trip with them last year that was like a week and a half going around a bunch of Scottish hostels. And I still kind of work with the hosteling team now. Um, just to show if they're bringing out a new hostel that's dog friendly. Um, and that's been really great because sometimes, yeah, when you're staying in a in a car for like a week or two weeks on end, it's really nice to have a warm bed and a shower <laughs> and food. <laughs> <laughs> did you convert a camper van for your Monroe trip? Is that correct? I did have a converted car. Um, I didn't do the conversion. I did the last tail part of it. Um, but yeah, Bertha was her name. Um, I don't have her anymore. But uh, yeah, it was a Vauxhall, a Vauxhall 807, Volkswagen 807. Um, but yeah, the top had been chopped off with a pop top. And then there was kind of a pull out bed on the inside. There was a cooker in a little fridge. Although the fridge didn't really work um, until I rewired it. Uh, but yeah, and that was good. That that definitely facilitated being able to do so many Munros. And I bought that uh, July so it was kind of, I kicked into gear in the June and then in the July I got that. So I don't think I would have been able to do them, do 212 in a year had I not had um, a vehicle that allowed me to live out of it for a good few weeks at a time and, and work remotely. Like I would be um, like on the banks of a lock somewhere in the middle of nowhere, you know, sending emails to my clients and like, you know, submitting a PDF um, and then finish work. And then I'm up in Monroe an hour later. So it was great. A converted car. That's so interesting because everyone goes straight for the van. But a like, yeah. converted car, that makes so much sense. More sense as well because it drives nicer. Well, I didn't want anything because obviously you live in a city. I didn't want a big um, clunky van and it was just me and the boys. So something small. I mean, I'm five foot four. So something small was, was going to work. But this was, yeah, it was a people carrier. Um, so it was a bit bigger than a normal car. 
that fit into all kind of normal car spaces and the pop top roof made such a huge difference like I could fully stand up inside when the roof was up um so yeah you didn't really it was it was kind of like an office that then became a bed so it was just like a room all the time what were the dogs like in it because Spanish can be quite scattergun in uh interior design <laughs> but were they okay <laughs> yeah they were good I think they've always been pretty good at knowing um when a space is like the chill space so for example when I put up the tent um and they go inside they know the tent is like a chill space they know we go in there to sleep and to be calm and quiet in there if they're going to be crazy then they can go out the tent and be crazy and it was the same with the van once they get in the van um the front passenger seat would swivel and so that was Spencer's kind of like spot and so he would always sit up there Hugo would be like right at my feet on the floor or he'd sit next to me on the sofa so they had their little spots and we knew um, we knew how it worked that's good. So as we come to a close, if people wanted to find you, where would be the best place? I guess like Instagram probably would be the best way to get in contact. Instagram, for some reason, likes to just like filter random messages. So it does take me time sometimes to go through and find them. Um, and it because there's quite a few and it is just me that mans everything. Um, it does take me a bit of time, but I do like to do, aim to get back to everybody. Um, and to kind of try and help with that I think normally once a week ish I do um quit uh, like a submit ask me anything questions um on a on a Thursday normally so that's another way that kind of bypasses it and I tend to just answer the most popular questions I can amazing well Holly Jenkins and the two dogs for their cameo (laughs) thank you very much for coming on to the show I look forward to seeing your next adventures over the coming years Thank you. Thanks for having us.